1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, undyingly, My listeners, I am your host, Pastor Alex, and we're back at it once again with another new episode for you. So um, I am now one week and a day or two, I think, post-COVID, and uh, so my voice might still be a little scratchy. And it's kind of funny because I recorded an episode the other night, and it's probably um, it's a little bit... Uh, how should I say, like, <laughs> quieter? It's got that smooth jazz voice to it, if you would. And then <laughs> I have this episode, which will be, you know, dynamic and normal. And this will air probably three weeks or more before that episode will air. So it was like, I'll have that weird COVID episode just kind of hanging out there. Uh, we tackled the Book of Concord and the Lord's Supper. So that should drop sometime in the middle of August when this one will actually drop. I think here, uh, what is today, the 18th as I record this. Uh, we've got an episode due on the 22nd and the 29th. And so I'll be actually out of town for the last few week- days in July. Uh, so I got to get ahead of the game today. And so it's recording time in the studio. But um, yeah, so COVID's great. I love it. It's the best thing since sliced bread, apparently. And uh, it's really messed with my, uh, my sleeping and... energy levels and all that, but, uh, things seem to be getting back to normal. Uh, the wife and I are starting to finally just say, we're done, we're over it. We're going to get out and start, uh, getting back to normal life. And so, you know, we obviously will, we took the precautions during our little quarantine time and all that. We wanted to ensure that we don't pass this on to other people. And, uh, so I did a tele zoom from, uh, for, for church on Sunday where I, dialed in and from my office and we have a TV that's on a cart. And so I connected a computer to it and I, uh, set up a zoom meeting and then I conducted service from that. It turned out really good, I think. And so just those little things, you know, we're, we're just ready now to get back to normal life, get to shopping, uh, for groceries and get to, um, fellowship with our church and, and finally be back in church next week. So that, uh, that's my, that's my COVID bit. Uh, it's kind of a bummer really if you ask me, cause, uh, I just, I'm so glad that we are over it for the most part. And there's still some lingering symptoms or, uh, that are sitting out there, but for the most part, uh, outside of a cough and maybe a little sniffle here and there, I think we're all doing just fine. So, uh, we are continuing our journey. We're going to try to finish Amos today. Uh, we have seven, eight, and nine. So we're going to breeze through these chapters, I feel. And, uh, and not to just do it and get it done and off the table, but because, you know, I, I want to keep these series kind of uh, quick and concise. Um, maybe in the future, you know, we could do a broader study of the minor prophets and actually, like, um, Look at them collectively within the scope of the historical Israel, and see where they fall in their in their timelines, and you know, kind of paint that picture for you. But I think we've done a fairly decent job at understanding these these letters, um, and you'll get more of their life if you would uh, some of them if you read through First Second Kings Chronicles and First uh, like Samuel and all that kind of stuff. So if you're you know looking for their life and and more detailed behind some of these, you won't probably catch much of the minor prophets, but you'll certainly get the major prophets, uh, and you'll get some, some interesting history to the nation of Israel there. So, um, and it's funny because first and second Kings, uh, really just depicts some, some of the worst Kings, uh, imaginable to rule Israel. And, uh, and yet there were, a few, uh, good ones in there. Not, a, not a lot, but a few good ones. And so that is, uh, that's really that. Um, but we're going to try to finish this again, uh, quickly today. Cause I don't want to, I want to get into the next, um, topic, which we're actually going to do, um, kind of a bonus episode. And I think what we'll do is like a topical, if I can make it a uh, topical and, or, uh, you know, panel or, interview type episode on Fridays in between Old Testament books, uh, cause we've got quite a bit of Old Testament books left to go. So kind of want to break that up a little bit and, and provide another element for you guys to enjoy the content with. So, um, I had some ideas for some topics and I'm going to try and remember those ideas as I record this episode, because I'm going to record again, another episode after this. And, uh, I might even throw in another Tuesday episode and continue working through the book of Concord, which we are at now the large catechism. And we're going to look at, uh, not all 100 lines that Luther writes there, but we're going to look at a good chunk of them and we're going to understand what it is he's talking about in the Lord's supper. And, uh, it's an interesting little journey, but really throughout the book of Concord, what you see is a lot of repetition in terms of that particular sacrament. Um, and, you know, I've what I've kind of come to realize is there's just not a lot of scriptural passages that really give us a, a, a clearer understanding. And there's there's some parallels that we can take right with the Passover lamb, and there's uh, some other instances in Scripture that we can uh, try and piece over it and understand it better. But in reality, it's it's a very cut and dry text that we get in Matthew twenty six. So. Uh, we're working through that series, and you can check those out on Tuesdays. We've gone through baptism pretty extensively, not exhaustively, but pretty extensively. And again, I, I think there's always room for more discussion, questions, and debates and stuff like that. Uh, if I can manage it, then maybe uh, I'll get the Bible dingers and we'll have, that, uh, we'll have that little debate that we've been talking about. Uh, so just a quick commercial. Join us on Patreon, right? We're revamping it. We're We're redoing the website. We're redoing... Uh, everything always. And so we're in that process. I think finally, as the summer is getting about half over, we're going to um, start kind of overhauling what we offer from Undying Light to you as the supporter. So dollar a month or $10 and some change for the whole year. You can give more if you choose you can do it, you know, monthly, or you can give it all at once for yearly. I think the yearly subscriptions are the best things to happen to patron because you, it's a one and done payment. You know, it's like, uh, you know, you got an extra 20 bucks You're like, all right, I'll throw it at undying light and I'll get access to all of his behind the scenes stuff type thing. So, uh, we, we keep it cheap and low because we know inflation is not a fun burden to saddle. So we, uh, we want to keep it affordable and we want to be able to provide edifying content for you. Uh, and that comes in the Bible studies, zoom meetings, the early release podcasts, sermon notes, and, uh, anything else that I'm working on, whether it's school ministry or anything like that. So those are things that we are actively, uh, working on. And you can join us again, like I said, a dollar a month, patron.com forward slash Undying light, and you can become a part of this wonderful growing family. Uh, so let's get into chapter seven. We've got a lot to do and uh, I don't want to waste any more time here. So let's take a look and see what, uh, this is here. Verse one, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts with the latter growth, which, uh, was just beginning to sprout and behold, it was a, it was the latter growth after the King's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, Oh Lord God, please forgive How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord standing beside the wall like with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am sending a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then uh, Amorazah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. This land is not able to bear all of his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amariah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary. It is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amariah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of the sycamore figs. And, but the Lord took me from the following of the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and by your land shall be divided up with a measuring line, and you yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Here ends chapter 7. Uh, Let's go ahead and work eight and uh, nine. There's fourteen and verses in eight and fifteen and nine. So let's go ahead and read through these really quick for you, uh, and then we'll circle back and kind of break down what's happening in these final chapters for you. Uh, The coming day of bitter morning is our headlines for chapter eight. This is what the Lord God showed me: behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of their temples shall be wailings in that day, declares the Lord. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence! Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over? And when may we sell grain and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale? that we may make the Ephra small and the shekel great and the deal deceitfully with false balances that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the shaft of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the people of Jacob. Surely I will never again. Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourns who dwells in it. And all of the all of it rises like the Nile, and tossed about and sunk again like the Nile in Egypt. And on that day declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon, and darken the earth in broad daylight. It will turn your feasts into mourning, and your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist, and baldness on every head, and I will make it like mourning for only the sun, and end it like its bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will send a famine into the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but for hearing the words of the Lord, and they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro and shall seek the, Lord, the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samara and say, Oh, as our God lives, O Dan And as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. That is the end of chapter eight. And here's chapter nine, the destruction of Israel. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar and he said, strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them from the heads of all the people and those who are left of them. I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, They they, uh, from there, my hand will take them. If they climb to heaven from there, I will bring them down. They hide themselves on top of Mount Carmel from there. I will search them out and take them and hide them from my sight in the bottom of the sea. There I will command the serpent and it shall bite them and they shall go into captivity before their enemies. There I will command the sword and it shall kill them and I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The Lord of God, the Lord God of hosts who touches the earth and it melts and all who dwell in it mourn and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and found, founds his vault upon the earth who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring you up out of Egypt, uh, bring up Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Keturah, and the Syrians from Ker? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I shall destroy it from the surface of the ground, (coughs) except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I command a shake and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one who shakes a sleeve. But no pebble shall fall to the earth. All of the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as the days of old. And they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes who, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and I and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their head or I'll plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I had given them, says the Lord, your God. Here ends the end of Amos, the little book that we have here, all nine chapters. So, What's going on here in seven, eight, nine? So we we know that uh, most of what we have read thus far. So we're back here at the beginning of chapter seven, and we again get this kind of uh, insight of how God is going to bring His destruction. And so the first nine verses are talking mostly about the invasion or some sort of symbolic symbolic uh, vision involving locust fires. And a plumb line. And the Lord warns his people that he will punish their apostasy. However, these visions, Amos's repeated intercessions on behalf of the people and God's forbearance do not result in repentance. People today are just as slow to heed God's word and are equally intractable in their bad behavior. We too would be irretrievably lost and internally condemned were it not for Christ and his forgiveness. So an interesting little kind of synopsis for these first few verses because uh, we, again, like I said, open up with uh, more visions of destruction and these locusts that are now uh, present and or going to be used as a means to bring judgment to Israel. And this is something, you know, if, we, if you've been following along with this series, uh, we've heard from other prophets uh, and it's also one of the plagues that God used in Egypt. And so locusts are, are a pretty common little tool in God's arsenal. i want to draw your attention here really quick to um, verse 2. So they say uh, in, in chapter 7, it goes, O oh Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. Well, Amos says, earnestly intercedes for Israel, pleading that the nation is too weak and poor to survive such a crop famine. Uh, or crop failure. This is ironic since the prophet also criticized the people for their greed and materialism. The only hope that Amos's appeal might succeed is God's compassionate nature. And I, and I like how the, the demonstration of uh, Jacob and the high places of Isaac, like you see in the prophet's writings, there's always kind of a, um, A notion back to the patriarchs and so there's always uh this this comment that's going to show up here especially in these few chapters you know talking about how can jacob stand the house of jacob things like that so then we move on here um if we jump down to verses seven and eight this is an interesting verse again we see the lord was standing because this verse seven goes This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line. The Lord has revealed himself to Amos in physical fashion during this series of visions. The plumb line is the builder's tool used to design a straight and vertical line. In this comparison, the wall represents Israel. Though the Lord originally set up Israel to be right and true, the nation has become cracked and warped. Israel needs to be remeasured by the Lord's plumb line, since only then can things be set right. And again, I really... Go back to this knowledge of how the, the Lord has revealed himself throughout all of the Old Testament. And if we see, you know, that Amos is, is actually able to see the Lord, then we know that this more than likely was the pre-incarnated Christ standing here uh, beside a wall built with the plumb line. And the plumb line is in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. And so I think that's always kind of a, you know, an interesting bit to know uh, as you read through these, these works, because then you'll see how God, you know, communicates to his prophets and whether he does so through, you know, lucid dreaming or he comes and visits them in person. All right. So moving on here, we got the back end of chapter seven. Uh, we've got uh, this priest of Jeroboam coming to warn uh, Amos from prophesying. And then if we go down to verse 14, let's read that. And Amos answered to him, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son. This goes back to our understanding of who Amos is, is from the very beginning episode when we did our introduction. He became a prophet in the same way so many others did, apart from their own initiative or will. Many of Israel's prophets resisted and tried to get out of their calls when the Lord unexpectedly came to them with a charge for mission. This is noted by Moses, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Jonah to make mention of a few. The Old Testament contains no account of a true prophet taking the task upon himself. Gregory of Nazarene says this, none can see or enter into the kingdom except he who who bare again of the spirit who has had been born again of the spirit and cleansed from the first birth by which every one singly is created anew this spirit for he is the most wise and most loving if he takes possession of a shepherd makes him a psalmist if he possesses the gatherer or scraper of sycamore fruit he makes him a prophet so there is no you know uh occupation that you can go and partake in and there's no class or certification that you can take to become a prophet. It is God coming to you directly, plucking you out of your comfort and giving you a task that nobody else wants to do. So when the priest rebukes Amos and orders him out of Israel, the prophet responds by uttering some of the most chilling words of judgment. Amos does so with good reason for on top of all of the other sins the people of Israel have now dared to openly despise the prophetic word, even it is being spoken to them. The scenario reminds us of how dangerous it is to ignore God's word and to defy those who sent those sent to us to call us back to repentance. Though guilty ourselves of similar failings, we take comfort in Christ's loyalty and unbounded forgiveness. His death has paid the debt of our rebellion. And his resurrection assures that even as he lives, so also shall we. All right, let's move into chapter 8. Again, we're going to just kind of work through this text rather quickly. There's only 14 verses in here, so there's not a lot to um, take on. But we have this bitter day, uh, or the coming day of bitter morning. And so we have an onset here of this acknowledgement of what God is going to do. And I think verse three is probably the one of the hardest uh, verses in this whole book. Uh, the songs, of the temple shall be wailings in that day declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies, they're thrown everywhere. Silence. So the songs of idolatrous worship will come, will become wailing lamentation before the carnage begins. Corpse will be strewn everywhere. This declaration of this proclamation of silence at the end of this verse is a typical reaction from God from when God confronts people with their sinfulness I think that's just that's just a raw verse and it's one that we just take upon faith and know that this is what God had entailed Uh, and how he intends to punish those who um, you know worship idolatrous people or God's uh, those who have rejected his promise, those who turn their backs and look for their own satisfaction. So verse five here, we jump into it a little bit more. Uh, people obviously did not have the hearts in their, in worship. This new moon, it's the first day of the lunar month was a regular festival. Uh, to make matters worse, these people habitually defrauded unsuspecting customers with dishonest weights, measures, and scales. So that is a pretty common issue, you know, to cheat the less fortunate or less knowledgeable, um, out of whatever money they had, especially in the temple grounds. And this was, uh, one of the big reasons why Jesus came in, not just because they were selling, you know, livestock there in the temple ground, but because they were cheating people, um, out of what they should have. And, uh, so they, you know, used it as a means to, draw money in and tax people. And I mean, there's all sorts of different things there that are happening and it's just, it was a disaster if you would. Uh, so let's jump down to verse 11 here, this famine and hearing of words. This is again, probably one of the most famous verses in all of Amos. Uh, this goes on here. Verse 11, behold, the days are coming declares the Lord. When I will send a famine into the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but the hearing of the words of the Lord. Because people have rejected and despised God's word and even forbidden his prophets from prophesying, they soon shall receive their just deserts. The Lord will no longer provide the bread of life, his sustaining gospel. Gregory of Nazarene says this. He says, Basil provided the nourishment of the word and rich abundance to the relief, not of a famine of bread nor a thirst of water, but a longing for the word, which is really uh, life-giving and nourishing and causes to grow to spiritual manhood him who is duly fed therein luther says this for when the word has been taken away what else remains but the most terrible darkness of human reason which wants to be our mistress and which can be in which can teach nothing else than the doctrines of the demons there is no light except through the faith in the word And I think they all nail it perfectly because that is another example of what God is doing, you know, or what God would do in terms of punishing uh, people is to revoke his word. He won't send a preacher there and they are left to their own darkness and their own human reasoning. And we see that quite evident in today's churches where their focus is not on the gospel, but entertainment. And we see that across the nation now with people, deciding subjectively what gender they want to be this week and, uh, what they're going to do with their, you know, government money and all that. And they have despised and rejected the word of God. And this is a result of it. And it's common throughout history of the world to see God doing this sort of behavior. So in chapter eight, Amos's vision of the basket of summer fruits, points to the Lord's judgment, which will soon cut down the people of Israel from their idolatrous worship, their greed, and their callous mistreatment of their brethren. If we persist in doing evil and despising God's graciousness, we will receive the same reward, punishment from God and from eternal separation of his life-giving word. Treasure the word. Our God is gracious and continuously stands ready to receive the unrepentant heart and lift them up. With His word of forgiveness and peace in Jesus Christ, so that enter or that ends chapter uh, eight. So let's quickly look through chapter nine again. Not a, not a lot not a long chapter, so we're just going to kind of breeze through these first uh, handful of verses here, in one through ten. Uh, this is the fifth and final vision report. Amos makes two main points here in these verses. One, because Israel has abandoned the covenant and has forfeited its claim to a privileged status before God. Thus, the nation will be destroyed, leaving only a tiny remnant. If you insist on on living life on your own terms, arrogantly spurning God's will for your life, you will face judgment. And two, yet the Lord provides a means of escape. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that just is a quick summary, uh, it's the final, the fifth and final vision that Amos has. And it's just, um, essentially the utter destruction of Israel. And out of that, you'll have the remnant of a small remnant of believers. Uh, and then the rest of Amos is the, you know, the, the restoration of Israel. It's God rebuilding this nation that he has struck down and, uh, he had to, you know, take out all of the sin that was prevalent in and around the, you know, concept of worship and, and life living there in the nation of Israel. And so God needed to destroy that, cleanse that, and he saves his remnant, uh, the remnant of Eden, uh, the Edomites were some of Israel's most ancient and hated enemies. Uh, the nevertheless, the Lord promises that a remnant of Edom, among with peoples of all nations will be a part of the restored devotic kingdom. Then the greatest promise made to Abraham will be fulfilled through his offspring, Jesus. All families on earth shall be blessed. Genesis twelve three. In Christ, believers of every nation are freely granted the honor of being called in the Lord's name. In this con- In this connection, note how James uses this passage that will provide That will prove that all people shall be welcomed into the church through baptism in faith in Christ Jesus without any need for circumcision or observation of similar right. So summarizing these last few verses following many oracles and visions threatening judgment. Amos's prophecy unexpectedly ends with a word of hope. A day of rich blessing is coming and the Lord will fulfill his covenant promises, bring restoration and establish the eternal kingdom of his Messiah. If it is a perilous, if it is perilous to despise God's judgment and punishment as did the people in Amos' day, it is even more foolhardily to refuse such a generous gift as promised in John 3.16. So that is going to wrap us up on our journey through Amos. Uh, We've gone through quite a few minor prophets so far, and uh, we've seen a lot of God's judgment uh, coming. So, take the opportunity to go back and listen to those episodes. If you have not caught any of the previous ones on Amos, go back and listen to those. There's only a couple of them. And uh, we will be back next week with kind of a bonus episode. And uh, we'll be back as normal on Tuesdays with our sacrament series. Until then, have a great weekend. God bless and make sure you are in church on Sunday morning.